We are back with another episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. This is Kara Porbaugh. That's me. She's in her 30s. <laughs> For 12 more hours. For last week, we talked about a few books, but we agreed to read uh, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. So we were going to start this episode talking a little bit about that. I listened to it on tape. You also did, right? You didn't actually read yeah. it. Yeah, I listened to it on tape. Yeah. Kara, I bought a hard copy and gave it to my daughter's dad. Yeah. Kara has been kind of avidly and voraciously reading parenting books, and, and I've been doing the same lately. And... Uh, um, have kind of similar interests in the same kinds of books, which seem to me to have this theme, or at least I kind of keep honing in on this theme of like honoring the child and yeah, not kind of like enforcing your own perspective or morals or anything onto your child, but honoring their ability to discover and create for themselves. <clears throat> and this book definitely fit, fit that theme. So it's not a book review podcast, but, uh, but I think we're going to at least start out by mainly talking about that. So Kara, you were saying that, uh, that you felt like, what, talk, talk about the moralism kind of piece. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking about how all this, the books that I've been reading tie in with radical parenting. And I, I think, you know, from knowing Brad and from, you know, all the workshops and radical honesty work that I've done, one of the underlying things is about moralism and, and how, you know, that's the traditionally, the way that we bring up our kids is like, teach them right from wrong and make sure we keep them on the straight and narrow and make sure they don't fuck up. And like, um, that's what a good parent does that's what a good parent does is like to make sure that we like keep our kid, you know, in this little path here so that they can whatever be happy and succeed. And um, I think Brad's basic premise in radical honesty and radical parenting is that that is not the path to happiness, you know, and we want to be happy and we want our kids to be happy. And that the, he thinks the way to do that is letting go of our attachment to beliefs about how things should be and orienting ourselves towards noticing and paying attention in the moment and being with people and being with our experience and being with people in their experience. So yeah, I'm interested in how a book like How to Talk So Kids Will Listen is gives tools. I think that's what I loved about that book so much is it is just like rich with really practical tools of like, here are sentences that you can say Mm -hmm. to, you know, communicate with your kid in a way that I'm going to express my feelings. They're going to express their feelings. We'll work it out somehow, but without a whole bunch of um, moralistic right or wrong this is like the right way to behave this is the wrong way to behave um yeah for me the reason i care about that is and i want to know why you care about it um so maybe i'll just ask you that first like why do you why do you why do you think it's important to not moralize with our kids and and to not teach them. I mean, one of the core jobs that many people think is is a parent's job is to teach a kid right from wrong. 
why do you gravitate towards parenting books and philosophies that that don't do that or that actually kind of preclude that yeah i don't know you go first i'll tell you why i'd like them. i mean i think i think that the first i just believe in like the goodness of, of humans and i think that like a lot of a lot of people throughout history have kind of like you know like books like lord of the flies or leviathan or something like that they're kind of based on this idea that without the structure of institutions like religion and government and whatnot that we're going to just degrade into like cannibals and murderers yeah. and rapists and stuff i definitely believe in just like the inherent goodness of people i believe that it's our nature to cooperate and to and to seek kind of love and connection and mutual support if it was our nature to self-destruct that would get evolved out of us you know like the, the when the cavemen were here there weren't those like structures and and governments and religions and whatever to keep everybody in line. I think we did evolve um, to want to connect with other humans. And there's a lot of tribalism potentially in there. We're probably, I don't want to get too deep into like evolutionary psychology, but mm. regardless, I just like to trust the good in people. And I also find that when you do count on or kind of like give people the benefit of the doubt, it brings out the best in them. And when you expect the worst, it brings out the worst in them. Uh, I also think there's just a lot of like egotism in thinking that your moral code is the right one. And yes, yeah, so my personal belief is that when a person has what's called theory of mind or the ability to look at the world from perspectives other than their own, and when they actually consider other people's feelings and, you know, learn like we all do to be aware of other people's feelings, you inherently you know you want them to be happy you want them to experience joy you want to minimize suffering in the world and i think any moral code that a child builds for themselves is going to be so much stronger than anyone that's instilled on them and even more importantly i think confidence i think self-doubt and you know self-hatred is the root of so much of the evil in the world and when you teach a kid to love themselves and and to trust themselves and to have self-confidence and self-love it just breeds goodness and i i find that more important than really anything we can do as a parent is helping a child like know themselves love themselves accept themselves as they are and i just trust that so much goodness comes from that and that's been my experience in life is that you know shame and self-doubt and self-hatred breed negativity and pain in the world and acceptance and self-love breeds um breeds joy <laughs> amen yeah i love everything that you said about that it's like number one if we believe that our kids are already good they already have all this goodness inside them and it may not be always readily apparent yeah. you know and i mean like one of my favorite um parenting gurus janet lansbury always talks about you know, in those early years when kids are really egocentric and really self-absorbed, she often says, yeah, they're supposed to be and they need to be because they're going through so much development, more development in the first three years of life, physically, emotionally, cognitively, everything, than for the rest of your life combined. So all this development is happening and their kids are processing that, all these changes to their bodies and their everything. And so anyway, if we automatically assume that our kids are good, it's like we can trust them. We can trust 
their instincts. And, and then there's another piece too, the moralistic stuff. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work with young kids. My daughter's four and a half, almost five. And you know, a lecture, if I give her a lecture about how it's good to be nice to people, she doesn't care about lectures, words, whatever. Well, kids learn through experience, right? So I, I think in terms of, I do because I do have values and I do have values that I do want to pass on to my kid. And I just think that the only way I'm going to do that is by role modeling and that she learns by experience. She doesn't learn from lectures. She doesn't learn intellectually about, because people do, they try to say to kids, well, you need to be kind and we want to be nice to our friends and stuff like that. And, um, you know, on that abstract intellectual level, it just doesn't go anywhere. So I guess I'm outing myself to say that I'm not above trying to influence her values, but it's like, it's, it's almost accidental. It's like, if we go and visit a friend who just had surgery and bring her food, that's more meaningful to her. And then the next time we go, I'm like thinking in my adult brain, oh, this friend has healed. Her surgery was two months ago. And my kid is like, oh, I'm going to make her a card. So she like, I want her to feel better. And like, how's she doing and stuff. And I didn't say anything about, well, it's important to support our friends when they're going through a hard time or anything like that. We just did it. So I guess that's my stance is like action and experience is so much more powerful than ideas. And also I wasn't thinking that way either, right? Like when I went to go take food to my friend and hang out with her kids for a little while so she could heal from her surgery, I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is the right thing to do. And it's, it's important that I go and do this. I was just like, oh, she like, got these stitches in her belly and she can't really get out of bed and I bet it would be really nice if her kids could go somewhere else for a while and um, I think that's how we all operate like what you're saying when we're operating from our own internal code there's no like it's not up here on this conceptual level and it, it might be for some people I mean some people might you know follow like a book of Mormon or Quran or whatever, they, they, it might be more of like a rule book. But yeah, I mean, the, this podcast and the work that you and I are doing and, and the way that we came into this is, is all centered around, uh, around a, different, a different approach. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it grows from this belief that if you do consider other people's feelings, and I do think that there's, you know, we'll get into this in a future episode, but I do think there's value in, in helping kids spend time considering and understanding and reading and being literate in understanding emotions of others. Um, but when you consider other people's feelings, like this friend of yours who had the procedure, did she have a C-section or what did she have? No, she had her gallbladder removed. That, yeah, when you consider other people's feelings that this kind of behavior is just natural. I can't even think, I don't want to put a label on the behavior, but it's like <laughs> good people do. All right. So um, there was something else you said, though, that I wanted to talk about. Oh, the self-love part yeah. that I think that's why it's really important to me in the end is because, you know, of all the, the workshops I've been to and all the personal growth work I've done, it's like we're all walking around feeling like we're not good enough. Like we still got to measure up somehow, like 
we're not okay exactly as we are. You know, and I don't even know if it's really possible in our culture. And I don't know if it's possible for me as a parent with my own baggage that's kind of, you know, similar to most people of like, is it possible to bring up a kid who feels on a fundamental level that like, I am really, really okay. I'm really good no matter what I do. And that being good and worthy doesn't depend on measuring up to expectations. Yeah. And whether that's possible or not, again, that's like what we're after, you know, mm-hmm. and we certainly know ways that, that help that and ways that hurt that. And yeah, it might be like an, an unattainable goal, but yeah, that's, that, that's my goal as a parent. And your goal as a parent is to raise a child that like knows themselves, loves themselves, accepts themselves as they are and doesn't carry around what I think you and I have carried around some of our lives. And just it's part of the human experience is this feeling of, of uh, yeah, not good enough, which yeah, you can't avoid, but, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't, shouldn't try. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to try. It's just the way I want to be. It's the way I want to parent. And, and yeah, that's why we read these books and it's why I'm doing this podcast with you. It's why I meditate on the things I meditate and research the things I research because all of my upbringing and all of my surroundings aren't here to support that kind of parenting. It, for me, it takes effort. And I have a lot of great natural programming, a lot of great that's inside of me, but I also have a lot of programming that is based in that kind of like not good enough kind of uh, culture. And I want to be really conscious about what parts of those I practice and nurture in myself and in my parenting and maximize that. And part of it is for my child and part of it is selfish. Like I want to in some way use my child to practice being who and how I want to be. It's like almost like, you know, like I love cooking. And since I've been single recently, I don't make these great, beautiful meals that I love making because I, I don't know what it is about me and my psychology, but I don't love, putting all that care and effort in just for just for me at home alone and you know there's a million examples like that but but yeah whether that's a good reason or not it's it's part of it's part of what i'm up to too in parenting and in doing this podcast yeah i've been feeling that lately of like oh man i just like speaking of not good enough (laughs) i feel lately i'm like oh man i just gotta like be a better human to get through this sort of extreme version of parenting that, you know, a lot of parents are feeling right now with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Kid schools are canceled. Kids are at home. People are trying to work and got the kids running around. It's like, it's a crazy time right now. I've been thinking a lot about um, parenting in terms of leadership. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of listening and empathizing and paying attention and, those kind of like receptive behaviors as far as like being more passive and being on the receiving end of like i'm gonna listen and observe and sort of just be attuned to like what's going on with my kid and then i think there's this other piece which is leadership which is like well how am i gonna be in my being and myself so that a I can parent the way I want to parent without going into just those like knee jerk reactions of my upbringing, our culture in general, all that stuff, because, you know, that's the thing about parenting. I think it's like any relationship. 
you know, like in a couple relationship, your worst side comes out sometimes because it's just, I don't know, it's like the nature of that intimate bond where like your partner pushes just the right buttons. So that's what happens for me in, of course, like some romantic relationships, but also with my kid, you know, cause I'm in my relationship with her is probably the most intimate relationship I've ever had with anyone just because we spend so much time together and know each other so well. And that's really awesome and lovely. And that's what I want. And I hope it stays that way for a long, long time. And, you know, I'm seeing that my, my worst side comes out occasionally. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta like get out of this place of desperation so that I can be the parent I want to be and I can be the human I want to be. Some of the things Kara was just talking about and, and before to um, reference, if you aren't familiar with Radical Honesty, references Brad Blanton, his, his book Radical Honesty, his book Radical Parenting. We aren't going to get into any of that today, maybe at a future episode. And I'll, but I'll put links below to, to, to Radical Honesty, Radical Parenting. And, and some of those resources. But to, yeah, today we were gonna talk about um, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. It's a book that Kara suggested in the last, the last uh, episode and, we, and she had already listened to it, but I think she did a refresh and I listened to it for the first time. It's by Elaine Maslich and Adele Faber. And uh, we'll put the link to that below as well. These are very like just aligned kind of philosophies. I'll jump into the refrigerator sheet Okay. while, yeah. while we're waiting. So it kind of breaks things down into like six categories. And actually I can do a quick screen share. <clears throat> so, uh, so yeah, first is helping children deal with their feelings. So this is just like listening with full attention, acknowledging their feelings, accepting and understanding their own feelings. Uh, this is a long list, but engaging cooperation, alternatives to punishment, encouraging autonomy, praise, and free children from playing roles. Yeah, so I think, and they spend a lot of time in the book on the first one, helping children deal with their feelings, which I think is so crucial and goes so counter to most of our conditioning, right? So like when a kid is upset, to actually be with them without trying to change anything or or take away that feeling or make it go away mm -hmm. which is very much you know what we do as radical honesty trainers um is being with the feelings welcoming the feelings especially the uncomfortable ones and kids are naturally good at this they like i i think my daughter is freaking brilliant at you know, she hasn't learned to like repress her feelings. So whatever she's feeling is just out there. And she doesn't have a sense of like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way or whatever. I don't think she would put it in these words, but I, I put it in the words of like being willing to feel whatever's there. You know what I mean? So if she's mad, she is flipping mad and she's going to say so, you know? And so it's, uh, it's, see, it sounds so simple and it's really hard to do, you know, when your kid is suffering and is upset, even if I know there's something I could do, I'm going to wait until later. And uh, I'm just going to spend a second to be like, yeah, I, 
I see how mad you are. And I usually put in a description, which I think is, you know, they talk about helping kids with their feelings. I don't think kids need that much help, like feeling their feelings, but I think just giving a simple description with no moral moralism to it of just like, you know, yeah, your ice cream fell on the, on the ground and you are so upset right now. Yeah, I see that you're crying and you like really were looking forward to eating that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it almost sounds obvious to me now. And it's like, you never, you don't see it. You uh, don't see uh, people yeah. talking to kids that way. Especially like, it's okay, off. she's disappointed. Her ice cream's on the ground. I feel like crying too when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, problem solving and like avoiding and 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 getting getting past that is what comes naturally to most of us. Yeah, and there's this idea that I came I came to through radical honesty that it's called the uh, paradox of change, which is that if you do want that sort of thing to shift, you know, like this upset or anger or or any kind of moment, the paradox is that the more you try and shift it and change it the more it persists and and the more you accept it as it is, the more open to change uh, it is you are, the situation is. So um, yeah, yeah it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. So what you- It doesn't come naturally to me. I always wanna kind of frantically protect anyone in the world. I mean, I feel like my life is about maximizing joy and minimizing suffering in the world. So when I see suffering, I want to shift it. And sometimes the best way to shift it is just to acknowledge it and sit with it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We want to fix it. Or unfortunately, some parents want to say like, oh, don't, what's wrong with you? Like, don't cry about that. You're too old for that or stuff like that. Or some parents just want to fix it and make it go away. Oh, we'll get another ice cream cone or whatever. And I think, so what Janet Lansbury, again, who I'm going to like, probably mentioned constantly she says like we're giving our kids the gift of the resilience and the trust that i can have this experience and it's not the end of the world i can feel disappointed i can feel mad i can feel sad i can feel whatever and like my grown-up is not gonna freak out you know they seem cool with it and in a few moments or a few minutes it's going to pass, you know, and so kids learn something that most adults never learn, which is that uncomfortable feelings will pass mm-hmm. and uh, they will pass. We'll actually process them bet more thoroughly if we really surrender to it in the moment yeah. and fully have that experience and ha- process it. And then we can really be open to the next moment of what happens Mm -hmm. and kids are so good at that if we could just give them a chance to do it when i was listening to this book i loved i loved the beginning is them kind of introducing their philosophies and 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 telling a little bit of stories but but pretty much just like broader ideas about parents realizing that just how effective it is to just let your children be how they're being to give language that yeah puts a name to it like you said um there's a section in the book that's a little bit more about like corrective um language and like how to talk so kids will listen um which 
I liked as well. Um, but you know, I, I especially liked the how to listen so kids will will talk piece. Uh, how to how to listen so your kids will be like self-aware and self-expressed and share with you and not feel like yeah there are parts of themselves that they need to hide from you in any way you get to a place where it's like oh these parts of me I know mom is okay with and these parts of me I know mom or dad isn't okay with and so I need to hide those and and then that becomes kind of this top dog bottom dog kind of thing where where they themselves don't accept those parts of themselves my sister posted something on facebook a while back that said like like when you when you're mean to your kids they don't stop loving you they stop loving themselves oh and it's just like a touching idea for me to even think about yeah and 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 we think of the um the classic sort of authority I'm trying to say the right word, authoritarian parent who with the the guilt and judgment and stuff like that. And I think there's also the possibility that our kids get the idea that parts of themselves are not okay when we have an anxious or fearful response. And I maybe I'm focusing on that because I don't have a lot of the like judgment and guilt maybe every once in a while, but I do have a lot of the... Um, anxiousness you know and our kids even if i'm trying to act as if i'm not our kids are so perceptive they pick up on everything so there's something about like i really really and truly have to be okay with what she's experiencing like you can't really fake it yeah thinking it's probably better than just like going full authoritarian you know like why are you crying or whatever but like if i it's it's some serious inner work you know like i have to really be willing to feel her to let her feel her discomfort Mm -hmm. and i would say too you need to be okay with the parts of yourself that aren't okay with that and Mm -hmm. an adult who has a subconscious pre-programmed mind and a, a and a and a frontal lobe and 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 the ability to like think rationally you can decide what lets steer the ship and some of that is going to be like, like you said, you can't fake it till you make it, but part of it is just like practice, you know? And so like one time when your kid, you know, like we're talking about accepting these like uncomfortable emotions in our kids, you know, especially in public and stuff that can be, that can be challenging. And so, you know, there's a spectrum of like, yeah, I'm totally Zen and at peace with my kid who's like screaming and ignoring everybody on the airplane or wherever I am. Uh, to I'm holding my mouth, my, my hand over my kid's mouth or something like that. And in between is this kind of fake it till you make it kind of thing. Sometimes you're not the Zen person, you know, right, right. but you can always kind of, you don't ever have to let that anxiety and that anxious side of yourself steer the ship and, and, and whatever. And you can just sit there and be uncomfortable, see how uncomfortable it is and just let it be okay that you're even like uncomfortable with that but yeah practice it and then eventually it's going to be way less uncomfortable especially if you're willing to sit with your your own discomfort i think like you just said faking it is better than is better than the alternative (laughs) sometimes it's the only choice you've got because yeah we are and there's some there's something i mean it's there's learning there for me in terms of like let's say my kid says something I don't know if I can come up with an example, but she says, 
whatever she says. And I think in my mind, oh God, well, in five years, she's going to turn out this way because she's, and so I got to like nip this in the bud and make sure that she knows that that's not okay or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's just all sort of fantasy and fear and it's not what's happening right i'm learning to like catch those fears and like i really identify and empathize with parents who who do messed up things that probably are going to damage their kids and uh i know that i'm going to do things that are probably going to damage my kid and i just have to keep paying attention to like oh i'm having this reaction that I think I need to control her in some way. What is that about? You know, like often it's a fear of the future of, you know, well, oh God, like if she doesn't, if she doesn't like respond to my directions now, what about when she's like 16 and she's driving a car and like, is, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it's not, it's not real. Well, I think one of the messages of the book too is that it is good and okay for you, for you as a parent to express your feelings and express your emotions. Uh, one of the things I liked about it is I feel like there's this undertone of that your emotions and your feelings don't trump your kids, you know? So like your kids- And vice versa. Yeah. And which, vice is versa. My, which is my bias. Yeah. To let my feelings go. Yeah. Trump. Yeah. So that's a challenge. And again, it's probably perfect for you and I to work on some of this stuff together. Cause I feel like that's not my, that's not my issue is, uh, um, losing myself and losing my own like wants and needs and stuff like that. The point is, is that, you know, you can strongly express, express your feelings and your reaction, even your discomfort, your anxiety. Um, but that doesn't somehow negate or, or Trump, your kids, you guys are both kind of like autonomous beings. Yeah, and I'm really glad you said that because that's when things get tricky for me. You know, if, if I if I actually am feeling cool and calm and non-anxious and my daughter's having an experience that doesn't really affect me, I'm pretty good at like being with her in that experience, welcoming her feelings, everything's good mm-hmm. but when i have when we you know when we rub what's the what's butt heads. yeah when we butt heads or when you know my yep. agenda or my needs are very very different than her agenda and her needs you know when we go grocery shopping my needs are to get the freaking food and get out of there <laughs> <laughs> and not spend all day at the grocery store that you know that never crossed her mind she wants to to look at everything and touch everything and talk to every person that goes by and stuff you know and so i i have time with her sometimes where that's okay right i mean you do deliberately make i don't know if it's at the grocery store but you do deliberately make time where sometimes that's okay right or no like you have nothing i would say that in her play that's that's when what anything goes so i would say for probably six to eight hours a day every day she's engaged in free play yeah where she can do whatever she wants i let her go and knock on neighbors doors and stuff and she can ask people to play with her and um the 
so but when we're we're when we're in the middle of a task i i no i don't take her to the grocery store and be like it's time to play now i could try that and see what happens and be like we're just gonna be here as long as she's interested in something yeah yeah i i don't i don't know i mean again i've told you that like in raising helping raise nieces and nephews the time i spend with them is is special is special it's not it's not 24 hours a day seven days a week or in your case 24 hours a day five four five six days a week it's it's uh it's a it's a special time so yeah i get that it's very different when you uh are with them 24 seven, but you still, it is important for, you mentioned, I don't forget what author talked about the like once nothing time and once something time. Um, it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, it's important to have a lot of time where your kids can just follow their folly and they aren't uh, just like in your papoose as you're on a mission or something. Yeah, totally. I really like that distinction. That's Magda Gerber. Um, who was Janet Lansbury's teacher, and she founded the Rye approach, R-I-E. Yeah, and she calls it wants something or wants nothing time. And that could even be a diaper change or a meal or whatever, or a bath time or whatever it is. I don't know, my kid plays and plays hard in the bath for like an hour, I just let her play. But if it's, I, I use that distinction to give myself permission because I am so much in favor you know, I err on the side of freedom and honoring her. And then there are moments where I'm not doing her any service if I push myself to the edge where then I'm going to be cranky and resentful and, you know, possibly get mad. And mm-hmm. and I don't really yell, but I do get kind of crabby. You know, I'm not doing her any service by getting in that place. So I, I'm actually working real hard on, you know, maintaining my boundaries of like, you know, no, it's not okay for you to flood the bathroom when you're in the bath. And and no, we're not going to spend three hours at the grocery store. And because I, I, I will feel like a slave mm-hmm. and I will be very crabby. Good. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's a good idea to just distinguish between those times. Cause I know you do have times where, you know, your, your child is calling the shots and then you have times where, where you guys need to get groceries and get home and you don't have a babysitter or a, or a spouse to watch her. Yeah. So yeah, th- both those things have to be okay. Yeah. Um, well, again, anything else you want to say specifically about, about the book? I don't want anyone to feel like we've clickbaited them uh, about this. Uh, yeah. About- right. A couple things, a couple of things that I remember and use all the time, even like months after reading this book are um, describe the problem, give information, say it with a word, describe what you feel. I just love all of those because I think there are ways that I can express myself as the parent when I have, when I'm having an issue that are not moralizing, that are not judgmental or guilt trippy or anything. So like, you know, and we practice this a lot in Radical Honesty, um, we practice describing things exactly as they are, as they could be, as they can be noticed with, you know, this, the five senses without any moral interpretation. Mm-hmm. So like describe the problem. 
I could just say, there's a bunch of blueberries on the floor. Even if I say a bunch, that's already maybe slipping in a little bit of a judgment. I could just say, I see blueberries on the floor. The alternative, which I've also said many times, which is like, I just swept that floor and now there's food all over it. I try to not say that <laughs> and instead, you know, say, I see blueberries on the floor. I just swept the floor and I'm like feel really frustrated that there's a mess on the floor again, which is all of that is just giving information about what I see and what I'm noticing in like my experience. And I like the giving information part. So like, for example, why do I give a shit that there's blueberries on floor? Like what's wrong with that? Cause I want to, I want to operate from, I want to operate from the assumption that there's nothing inherently bad or good about anything. Like there's blueberries on the floor. So what, who cares? So then I actually have to train myself to think this way of like, it's so automatic for me to think I don't want food on the floor. And it's like, well, why not? So then I actually have to give her that information because she doesn't think there's anything wrong with blueberries on the floor. There's it's always like, what's the more deal? blueberries clean. What's and the big deal? And she'll say that sometimes. She'll be like, it's okay, mama, we can buy some more. Yeah. So I, I, I have to actually think, okay, well, what is the problem? So then I might say something like, if we, if we leave the blueberries on the floor, we're going to get ants, which we do all the time. If stuff gets spilled and it doesn't get cleaned up, we get ants. Mm -hmm. And two, I'm going to step on them by accident and then I'll have blueberries on my shoes and then I'll track blueberries all on the rest of the floor and then we'll have more mess to clean up. And, and you know, I even, I would consider it giving information to say, I don't like cleaning up messes that I didn't make. <laughs> I don't know if that's too guilt trippy, but you know, I just try to boil it down to like, I hope this is not too guilt trippy. Sometimes I'll say, you know, it takes time to clean up messes and we're not going to have as much time to go on our bike ride if we're staying home cleaning up the mess. None of this would I even say if it was an accident, but if she's throwing blueberries on the floor, then we may get into this discussion. Anyway, I don't know. What do you think about all that? No, I, I like it. And the it's just such a shortcut to just be like putting blueberries away or like or like we don't throw blueberries on the floor or whatever yeah. it's not about a rule book or a checklist that's just so much more it's such a shortcut and and i can understand why a lot of parents don't feel like they have time for that but yeah and but, if she were if she were to keep throwing the blueberries on the floor i would physically intervene and remove the blueberries and I don't think of that as a punishment. And I, and I don't want to, if, if I have a feeling of you've done something that I feel mad about and I want, now I want you to feel bad, then it's going to come out like a punishment, yeah. right? Of like, but if I really just perceive it in my head as like, I don't, I don't want to clean up any more blueberries off the floor. So I need, I'm going to move these away so that we don't get any more blueberries on. If it's just clean and simple, I think the child picks up on what our motivation is, you yeah. know? 
Okay, well, I want to also honor your time. I know you have like a birthday celebration to go to. So uh, yeah, I just want to say happy birthday and thanks for doing this. Let's come up with a, a kind of reading assignment for for next week. You know, sometimes we're going to just talk about, about ideas. Sometimes we're going to have a reading assignment. Those are often going to be parenting books, which is what we've been talking about lately. But I also want us to review like children's books. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of looking at, at children's books and any kind of the, like underlying philosophies and, and messages behind children's books. Oh, cool. Books, anything. Um, and then also a fan of, you know, a lot of my parenting philosophy came from books that have, or essays or, or philosophies that have nothing to do with parenting. They're just about acceptance, about accepting the world, about, um, identity and about existentialism and so yeah I want us to talk about those too but um, all right well I hope you have a happy birthday tonight and thank you. Uh, yeah and thank you guys for watching and we'll see you in a week or two awesome